Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am really delighted for another episode of Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Just so you know, we believe in you more than you believe in yourself, and we love you. So it doesn't matter what questions you ask. We're going to do our best to answer them. So send it over. We don't care. doesn't matter if it's a small question or a big question. We'll tackle it. 877-933-2484. Let's grow in our faith. Let's understand what God's Word teaches, and let's get busy. All right. Here's my power panel today. We've got Dr. B, Tom P, and Jeff V. Hi, Bill. Hey, how are you guys? Hey, we're doing good. We've got a professor, a pastor, and a Sunday school teacher, and that is the team. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484 is the line. All right. I'm going to start with a true or false game today. How's that? Sounds okay. good. Right. We could multiple choices. No, nope, no. Nope. The rest of the day, Jeff, no. you got to okay. listen to the directions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Did you hear multiple choice? I no, said I true didn't. Or false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty clear. <laughs> All right, true or false? The selection of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as patriarch patriarchal heads of the Jewish people. True or false? True. True. Okay. The selection of twelve tribes were based on the. 12 male descendants of Jacob. True. Yeah. True. All right. The appointment of male-only priests in the Old Testament, although pagan religions had women priests. True. That's true. Right. All God-ordained royalty who led over Israel were men. True. What, wait, wait, no. What about well, the judges? Yeah, what about Deborah yeah, and Deborah, Deborah, the judge? Yeah. Um, but she she was kind of judges led, even though they weren't king or rulers or whatever. But they were leading at a at a time of vacuum. Um, so true. When when God was their king, right? It, yeah. There's a there's a passage I can't remember where it's at, but it says God says I will be your king. I will lead you. I will go out and fight mm-hmm. your battles for you. But then the next chapter, I think it's in Samuel. Israel says, we want a king like yeah, all the other Samuel. nations right. to lead us and to go out for a battle for us. And it must have broke God's heart. But before that, God had prophets and judges that kind of uh, were the lead. So that's kind of a most mostly true. Mm-hmm. Right. So not all the kings were male. Mm-hmm. OK. All 12 apostles whom Jesus chose were male. True. True. Yes. OK. In the New Testament. Um, only men were authorized by God to be appointed as elders. True. Okay. Um, no woman in the Bible was ever called to the public office as priest of God. In the Old Testament? Yes. Yeah, where the priest? True. Yes. Okay. That concludes our true-false test. So the point is? <laughs> I'm just saying. I just wanted to test your understanding of that. You know, because we certainly live in a different day yeah, where we do. Uh, 
churches that will tend towards um, a more progressive stand will say otherwise. Yeah, that is. And, and the requirements for elders in the New Testament, which would apply to us today as well, uh, both in Timothy and Titus, God says that an elder should be the husband of but one wife. So n- not only it's gender, but um, gender identity and sexuality fit into that as well, which uh, many churches have have, you know, strayed from that uh, specific, um, you know, characterization of elders as well. I, I find it interesting when, in three places in Scripture they identify a total of 26 characteristics or 26 requirements of to be an elder. 26. Mm-hmm. And now you could lump them under certain categories like, you know, able to teach and so forth, but uh, very definitive. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, because there are nuances I'm not pushing for anything against this. Well, I'm not either. I'm not bringing this up to push for anything. I'm just saying, is this true or false? That's all I'm asking. Well, the New Testament talks about the priesthood of all believers, not just male believers. So technically, women can be called priests. Now, I'm not saying in the... the That's why, why, by the way, that's why I asked, you mean in the Old Testament? Yes. So I said true. And then, of course, you got in 2 Corinthians 5 where women are also called ambassadors of the gospel and ministers of reconciliation. So in the formalization of the New Testament, you're right. We don't see any women or women in that line. But I think uh, what I always want to be careful of is I don't want to make it sound like only the men can do ministry. Only the men can witness. Only the men can reach out. No, it's not a male or female. It's for everyone. However, there are certain roles that the Lord has set apart and that's his business. Uh, so let's read the passage that is basically the foundation of what you just said from Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So whether you're male or female, if you are in Christ, you are united with him. You are his body. You are competent as ministers. You are uh, have a ministry of reconciliation. You are... Priests, high priests, not high priests, priests, uh, a royal priesthood, uh, all the descriptions of the church apply to you equally. That is correct. Mm -hmm. True. (laughs) Nicely done. So thank you for indulging that little quiz. Mm -hmm. It was good. It was good. Yeah. Well, if you like it. Even though Jeff wanted multiple choice. I know. I I just thought guy talk would be a lot easier if it was multiple choice, (laughs) you know. So I appreciate that. Here's a question that came in. Uh, thoughts about Rick Warren's more recent change to having female pastors. I don't want to open up an entire can of worms, but there's a question that just came in. I haven't read his theological reasoning. Maybe you guys have read that. I don't know. Uh, he's been extremely popular for a long time. Biblical. Um, but how he's come to this conclusion, I'd like to understand the theological rationale. Um I'm personally at the point in ministry where I do want to obey the word of God, but I'm thrilled if anybody will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, male or female, because we have so many men pastors and so many men elders that aren't doing the job. And so it's got to be more biblical. I think there's more in the Bible than just male or female on these things. There's also, does the Lord qualify a person and call them to do this? I don't know. I'm still struggling with that and trying to understand that. You're, you're not saying that uh, just having women in those leadership roles is going to solve the problem that you just identified no. with men no. just because they're women. No. But what I've seen is that if it had, in the last 50 years, if it hadn't been the women in the Church of Christianity 
holding the Sunday schools together, discipling the kids, supporting the church and the ministries that reach out, the church wouldn't exist as we know it because the men were, of course, working, busy, but they weren't doing that. And even most pastors that I've worked with are not good leaders. They're good theologians, but they're not good at leading the body to reach out with the gospel of Jesus. So the a little bit of background, the Southern Baptist um, Convention ousted Saddleback, Rick Warren's church, when they did name women's pastors over that very issue. So, I mean, Saddleback uh, would have known that that was going to come because that, that was part of their denominational uh, teaching, and they required that all pastors and elders be mailed, from what I understand. And when that happened at Saddleback, uh, they I think they were ousted, and I think they're still outside of the... Oh, they are. Yeah, so... Um, that's, that's why I'd love to see the, the biblical rationale that Rick Warren used, because I'm always open to learning, and maybe there's something there I haven't seen before, or maybe there's something there that I have to contact Rick Warren and have a talk with him. Hmm. Um, it, one scholar put it this way that's researched the subject. He says, God has ordained that only men are to serve in positions of spiritual teaching authority in the church. This does not imply men are better teachers or that women are inferior or less intelligent. It's simply the way God designed the church to function. Men are to set the example in spiritual leadership in their lives and through their words. Women are also to set an example in their lives, but in a different way. In First Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, addresses that. Women are encouraged to teach other women, Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. The Bible also does not restrict women from teaching children. The only activity women are restricted from is teaching or having spiritual authority over men. This bars women from serving as pastors to men. This does not make women less important, but by uh, any means, rather, it gives them a ministry focus more in agreement with God's design. So you just outlined what theologians call the complementarian view, and that is that men and women are equal in Christ, but God has different roles or functions for them within the church or even in the family, for that matter. Um, the other view, which obviously uh, egalitarian is, view, is yeah. the egalitarian view. And so this discussion has gone on, um, you know, in within the church for many, many years, and good people uh, fall on both sides of it. I agree with what you just described as the biblical view that, that I hold, so well, I would fall under the complementarian view. Well, if, if, if you take a look at what's happening in the Roman Catholic Church right now, even with the Pope, they had a, a, a conference where women were asked, asking the Pope to consider, reconsider the whole issue of women becoming priests, having been more involved, and actually uh, pressuring the Pope to make some of those accommodations. So you're absolutely right. It's a volatile issue that's been around for centuries, Mm -hmm. and it's going to continue to be so. And it's, it's the cultural aspects of this can't be ignored. I mean, part of the interpretive differences is, were these instructions in the first century that are in Scripture, did they apply to the church for all times, or was there a certain cultural aspect to these that is now no longer valid in our culture today, where we have much more equality between men and women? Um, so whether or not they're kind of lasting instructions or if they were specific time period cultural instructions, there's a lot of pressure on the church in a lot of these kind of social issues to start conforming more and more with the culture of the day and kind of get with it and get with your culture. Um, whatever you decide, we have to make sure that we're 
basing our decision and our doctrine and our theology based on the Word of God Absolutely and not on the right. pressures yeah. of society. Of culture. See, I'm, I'm right. much less concerned with men and women. I'll just be blunt. I'm concerned about what's coming out of their mouth hmm. because I there are a lot of male teachers out there that are not teaching that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, and the churches are putting up with it. Mm, amen. And yeah. they're letting people come in and with alternative lifestyles, alternative beliefs, and these type of things. And quite frankly, the women's influx into the church only came about because the male authorities permitted it to happen. They didn't have the authority to do it. They went to the conventions and everything else and demanded it, and they, the men gave in. My theory is, I think we're in a day and age with all that's going on, that we need people that can articulate the gospel clearly. And if the Lord wants to do that with a Deborah, I'm for a Deborah. The other thing I struggle with, and this is just, I love this freewheeling discussion that I struggle with, is that we're always good at, at quoting those verses about women in the church, which I agree with. But do our churches enforce that women should not have their hair in braids? Do we enforce makeup rules? The Bible's filled with that stuff, telling women they can't do that. They can't be part of the community. And you get into the New Testament, there's even a little bit of that there. It's amazing to me how we really get heavy on some things and not on others. All I'm saying is to be a, a minister of the gospel, how do we look at the whole picture? Well, it begs we a, understand? It, to me, it begs a bigger question. Who's going to be the arbitrator? Yes. In other words, so uh, let's say you have a predisposition or a bias to an egalitarian point of view. You're going to read Scripture through that lens and interpret it that way. Sure. Where the Word of God, it says, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierce the division of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So consequently, who's going to be the authority to differentiate that? Like even making yeah. that distinction about the cultural issues of braiding hair versus spiritual authority. I don't see yeah. them as an equivalent discussion. I understand that, but you believe in the Word of God and all of it's true. So now what we're doing is we're coming at it from our personal point of view rather than saying, wait, God's Word says that. How do we enforce that? I'm with you, Greg. I really am. But I run into this with pastors all the time, and I'm trying to understand, Lord, what do we enforce and what do we not enforce? What do we push for and what do we don't push for? And I'm very open to that because I want people saved. <laughs> I want people to become disciples. And these kind of arguments in my mind, yeah, the culture is pushing in on it, but I'm not worried about the culture. I'm worried about what we're doing in the church to proclaim the gospel. So I agree, Greg. Thank you. I mean that. I, I want to do it right, and that's my goal. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to read a little scripture here. You tell me uh, what your thoughts are, um, and then we'll go to break. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That's First Timothy 3.2. Another verse says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and that he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. That's First Timothy 3, 4, and 5. And an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. That's Titus 1.6. So certainly sounds like those roles are masculine. There were only men who did that. Mm -hmm. They didn't have women doing that anywhere in the church in the early first century. Yeah. So I don't know. I agree with you. That's what it says. And I want to obey that. What I'm saying is, can the Lord, does the Lord have the ability to make the picture even bigger to get the message out? I don't know. But I agree. I understand what you're saying. And I'm more concerned, like you all are, with how do we get people to know Jesus? Because mm -hmm. that's what's not happening in our culture, whether it's male or female in the pulpit. And uh, the ministry of of the church, the 
outreach of the church, the proclamation of the gospel uh, within the church, the go and make disciples of all nations within the church, and all the things that God says the church is supposed to do is for both men and women. So, um, and so in that regards, I to- we you know, yeah, I know totally agree with that as I'm well. So, all right, well we'll take a break. When we come back. Uh, we'd love to have your questions. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Maybe you have a comment for us. We're open to that as well. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. It's Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. We'll be right back. Hi, podcast listener. You know, I'm Bill Arnold, and my theme song says, What's for dinner? And like when I'm grilling, I'm paying really close attention. And I know that ideal second to get the food off the grill. Like all good and ideal timings in life, right now would be an ideal time to be a cheerful giver to Faith Radio. Give now to support this podcast so that more people in more places might come to saving faith in Jesus and grow in their relationship and become a fully devoted follower. Click the link in the show notes or give now at myfaithradio.com. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Back with Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Let me know what you'd like us to discuss. I got the can of worms open right away. (laughs) Do you guys even like me anymore? We love you, Bill. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. I've got uh, Dr. B. Tom P. and Jeff V. sitting around the studio here with me. So we're looking for any question you have, 877-933-2484. Here's a question, gentlemen. If I have committed a sin which possibly led to my divorce, and I have gone to God about it, and my pastor, and have asked forgiveness, do I need to ever take it to my children and ask for their forgiveness if they know nothing about it? I don't find in the Bible my answer, but I know it's there probably somewhere Well, again, it goes back to what the particular sin was this person was involved in. Uh, I think I've I've heard this enough that I got a pretty good inkling what's going on. It goes back again to um, you don't have to necessarily go to your kids right away. You do have to go to the appropriate people and and deal with it as it should be done. With your kids, it's when they start asking you questions or they start having issues. Then I would say simply sit down and have an honest talk. But between the people you've directly offended, your spouse or whatever else, and the Lord, is where most of this stays because most of us don't go home after we've sinned or we've looked at something we shouldn't have and make sure we tell all of our kids. And even in most divorces, it doesn't work that way. So it's a tough one, but I think that uh, you have to look at the individual child and you have to look at the individual situation. But with the spouse, I believe in absolute honesty and repentance Um and seeking whatever reconciliation can be done. I think your point is well taken, though. I mean, you have to take into consideration, is the child capable enough to deal with what you're right. going to tell them? Right. I mean, are, are they mature enough to understand the ramifications of it? Sometimes in the desire to be vulnerable, um, and we regurgitate, and I, I chose that word purposely, we regurgitate what's ever in our mind. We walk away feeling better, yet we've left a mess on somebody else. Exactly. And, and so we have to be careful if we're going to do that, to know when the proper time is and whether or not that child has the capacity to understand the, the, the situation. The 
question didn't say how old the kids are. No, it didn't. I agree with that qualification uh, to what I am going to say. But if you go down the list of this sin, of who who affected, uh, first and foremost, uh, sin is against God. Uh, It sounds like this person has uh, gone to God with this. Uh, Of course, if this was uh, adultery, which we're kind of assuming that this was an adulterous thing, even though the question didn't specifically say that, uh, that is obviously a sin against the spouse. Uh, It sounds like the person has gone to the spouse. Mm -hmm. So now you have to decide, is this act a sin against the children as well? Mm -hmm. Um, And so if, if it is, and they're able to handle it, I would say you need to go to your kids and ask for their forgiveness. They're adult, if, adult kids. Adult kids. Yep. Well, then, if you believe that you have sinned against your children in some way, then yes. If you don't, then then no. Okay, we have some cleanup on aisle five here from, from, <laughs> from the start of the discussion. I'm confused. Are you saying I cannot braid my hair or my daughters and go to church? I have had a hard time <laughs> believing God would care. Was there something going on in the culture that braided hair distracted the men from hearing the word of God? It's a good question. And here's the problem. You know, most of us as Christians say the word of God is infallible and the word of God is absolutely true. And yet I've watched myself get selective with what I pull out of the scriptures and apply and what I don't apply. I have to be careful about that. In the Old Testament, which is where most of these regulations are under the Levitical laws, those Levitical laws were dealt with by Jesus is he is the one and for all sacrifice for sin. He is the end of the law as the way we understand it. Uh, he is our great high priest. So in that sense, no, I don't see that. Uh, what we have to do then is go back and look at the rest of Scripture. Now you get to the New Testament, as Greg pointed out, and uh, Jeff, and I agree, we have to look in depth and understand what it's saying. And I'm very open to doing what the Word of God says. What I'm most concerned with is how do we get the Word of God out? Because the churches are dying around us, and I'm worried about that in America. So let's let's read the passage about braided hair, because some translations use braided hairs. Other translations don't use the phrase braided hair, but this is from the New Testament. I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is verse 9. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles, so that's how the current NIV mm-hmm. translates it, or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So I don't think this is a exhortation not to wear braided hair or even to wear jewelry for that matter. I think it's a heart thing that says, It's an hey, attitude thing. It is. What are you adorning yourself with? Where's that passage that says, be like Sarah, who let her beauty be one, an inner beauty, uh, that which uh, showed through from her relationship with God, not an external beauty. Look, women, you know if what's more important to you is what you look like physically or what people see in you spiritually. And I would argue that the passage in Timothy about braided hair and jewelry and so on and so forth is much more about what people are seeing in you, woman, spiritually, rather than your physical adornment. Totally agree. All right, here's more cleanup. Is the Greek word in the scripture you just read about pastors, is it masculine or gender neutral? Oh, well, we could look it up. Mm -hmm. It's the same word we get elder from. You know, in shepherd, it's the same basic root word. Okay. Um, but whether it's masculine or feminine, 
And and there, even with the Greek words, you have to be careful of masculine and feminine. Does it mean male and female always? It just has a different connotation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Jeff, yeah. tell us Jeff the answer. Jeff, to the rest I'm still looking. Yeah. It's going to take me a couple of minutes. Yeah. So maybe. Here's, a, here's a comment that was made while Jeff looks. In my humble opinion, God is telling men, you punted the leadership decision in Eden. I'm not letting you do that again. <laughs> I like the statement. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I can't find. I don't know what to say, (laughs) (laughs) which is odd, Tom Parrish. I know it is. I know you're out of. uh, But I understand where that's coming from. You know, in my experience, what I found most interesting when I taught at Bethany School Missions, I had to teach preaching. They gave me both men and, and women. I had to teach and I taught there for two years. The one young girl who was I don't know how this worked out. Southern Baptist was the best preacher I've ever heard in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And at Christmas, when she went home to be at our home church, her pastor, of all things, asked her to preach, which was against the rules. But on that Sunday, more people came to Jesus Christ through her altar call than they had ever seen in the history of the church. So I don't know if it is the spirit moving and brings people to faith. How does that happen? And I don't know. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm still more concerned about the individual's response to Jesus in leadership than I am anything else. Mm Hmm. I can't determine it. It's the Greek word, I believe, presper, but it's, it's poimen. It's say it again. It's poimen. Do you have the the Greek? I just have the Greek word for for pastor. It's P O I M E N poimen. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an English uh, statement of the of the Greek. All right. There's awkward silence. Um, all right. Let me move, let me move on. <laughs> I, I asked for multiple choice. <laughs> Answer C. Yeah, I know. It's all a right. masculine noun. It is. It is a masculine noun. Thank you, Greg Borgon. Masculine noun. All right. Do angels sin? Lucifer did when he rebelled um, with a third of the angels. I don't know. Is that true? Did a Mm -hmm. third of angels leave? Yes. Isaiah talks about that. Okay. Um, But can the remaining two-thirds sin now? Do they have free will? This is a very interesting question because it seems that the angels had a decision point of which way they were going to go. Are they going to follow the one who wanted to rebel and put his throne above that of the Most High God and follow Lucifer, this light bearer, this beautiful angel, uh, and follow him in his rebellion? Or were they going to stay and stick with the creator of heaven and earth? And it seems like Scripture says, I think it says a third of the angels, in, is it in Revelation or Isaiah? I think it's from Revelation. It says he took the third of the angels with him uh, in his rebellion. Um, it seems like that point in time was a decision point where that was their decision and it's nothing's going to change from that. In other words, there's no chance that the angels would uh, continue to rebel and fall out of heaven in some way, shape or form. That's the picture we have. But we, I don't have a particular verse to explain that, but that's the picture we get from Scripture. Does it mean that angels cannot sin at all? Or does it just mean that their position is now secure? Kind of like a believer in Christ today. We're secure in our uh, Christianity and that we're born again. We have assurance of salvation. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I would argue that it seems like they are secure in their position today. Well, here's, here's a comment. Um, the holy angels have free will, but the Bible makes it clear that they do not sin in their service to God. The Apostle John, in describing the eternal state, wrote that there will be no mourning, crying, pain in that place and time. And anyone who does evil will not be permitted to enter uh, the city of God. So therefore, the angels who are in the city of God, who are present in that holy city, are therefore sinless. That was, that's one uh, scholar's approach to the question. Yep. 
I think of Psalm 103, which I have memorized, and this popped into my head as we started this conversation, but uh, it says in verse 20, uh, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Mm. Doesn't sound like they're sinning. Mm. Well, and I agree, but to obey or have, uh, you know, we have freedom of will. Right. We can't honestly love the Lord without freedom of will to choose whether we're going to obey or disobey. When I see the word, like you brought up, Bill, and I agree, but the word obey there means there's an option because you right. can't obey if you can't disobey. Jesus, as a man, had the potential of sinning and never did. Right. He lived it out. So I don't know. They, they, there's not a definitive answer here one way or the other that I've seen. But I think to Greg's point, uh, they are currently not sinning. No, we hope so. We Yeah. <laughs> well, that just to be specific, that point was saying that once the new heaven and new earth comes and, and Revelation says, when anyone says that nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it, which was basically the point of that, and the angels, the, the ones that didn't fall, will enter into it. And at that point, I believe... All sin is gone, right? He is going to create all things new. It's the new heaven, the new earth, new Jerusalem. Nothing unrighteous will ever enter, enter into it. And every, but everything and everybody that enters into that eternity will be perfected. Well, so that's, that's a different question about whether or not they're capable yeah. of, you know, God says, hey, I want you to go down and do this right now. And, you know, an angel decides, well, I'll do it in 30 minutes. You know, is that yeah. sin? You know, yeah. I, I, I don't know. The Bible actually mentions angels uh, over 250 times, but it's always incidental to, you know, some other uh, topic. So, you know, learning about angels could be helpful, but the problem is, is that it's implicit rather than explicit in their description. All right. You are listening to Guy Talk. Yeah. (laughs) Or Guys Who Talk. You guys Put are in the so lame sometimes. <laughs> and if you have a question, you call 877-933-2484. All right, we'll take a short break. Are we still debating the angels? <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys got to pay attention, all right? Pay more attention. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Thank you for tuning in today. It is time for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Really, the way this works is questions get asked. I translate the Questions from the text line to my panel. There's Dr. B, Tom P, and Jeff V, and then they answer them. So that's the, that's how we do it. I thought today, though, I did a quiz, and I think I'm ready for my second quiz. Uh-oh. Yeah, Uh-oh. another quiz. Yeah, yeah another quiz. Another quiz. All right. The indwelling spirit marks one as a Christian. True or false? True. True. All right. And the Bible has got a couple descriptions of this reality, and I'm going to just say what they are. And you say true or false, right? One uh, at the time of that conversion is baptized in the spirit. True. true. Right? The spirit is poured out. Oh, yes. True. Uh, Acts 10.45. Mm-hmm. Anybody wants to look it up? Um, we receive the promise of the spirit. True. Those who believe in Jesus. Greg? 
Well, it, it's it, the question is suggesting that it's sometime later. Uh, you can't ask me any follow-up questions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's talking about the present at the moment of conversion, yes, we do receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then at the moment of conversion, do we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Yes. 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 True. Okay. It is a gift. It's not something you can earn. Okay. And then um, will the Spirit simply come upon you, or do you have to go out and somehow seek it? It will come upon you and indwells you. It comes into yeah. you. Yeah, you did not choose me, but I chose you. It, it comes upon all those who believe. So as soon as you believe, as soon as you open the door, as soon as you put your faith in Christ, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So Corinthians says, 1 Corinthians, uh, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. True. Yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't a true or false question. That oh. was just a comment towards the end, quoting scripture. Oh, you can ask comments? For- I can, Greg. <laughs> All right. So, again, there is a way to, to mark a Christian, because I think we get questions asked a lot. You know, am I really saved? Am I? Do I have to somehow go out and, and get the Holy Spirit in my life? Do I need to have... Someone pray the Holy Spirit into my life. All that, all well, Ephesians one thirteen and 14 says we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. So it's, it's not something you go out and seek. It's something that happens to you. And at the moment of conversion, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which will always be the guarantee of your salvation. Mm-hmm. Ephesians yeah, so one thirteen and 14. Romans 8 says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Yeah, one spirit. Yep. One spirit. So as soon as you believe, as soon as you become a child of God, and that happens at the moment of faith, God gives you your, his spirit. And by the way, his spirit now talks to you. His spirit now testifies to you that you are one of his children. So this is how a true believer can know that they know that they know that they are saved and have eternal life because God speaks to them by the power of his spirit. Mm-hmm. Now let me ask a tough question. And Not I agree. To me. But here's the question I got from a woman. Raise my son in the church, but he won't confess Jesus, won't go to church and doesn't believe. Does that mean the spirits ignored him? No, I mean, this is this is when whenever I teach about assurance of salvation in my class, you guys probably get this, too. It's it's always a question of and I teach, by the way, that once a person is born again, they are born again for all of eternity. That's right. one of the reasons why is because uh, Jesus himself says that when you believe, you will receive the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and he will be with you for how long? Forever. Mm-hmm. Right. So you are secure. Your salvation is kept uh, in heaven, shielded by God's power until that day. You are his possession and on and on and on. There's many, many passages. Let, let that me push this, this a little further with your, what you're talking about. Yep. If I have a son that does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he's been exposed to it. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to faith because we don't bring ourselves to faith. And if we aren't born again by the Spirit, we can't even believe in the first place. How does this happen for the son that doesn't believe? Yep, so hold on to this, the non-believing son for a second because let's go, back, let's go back to the previous one about someone who grew up in the church, potentially possess, uh, professed Jesus as Lord or, or said they believed and now has walked away. And this is how I answer that question. I can tell you the doctrine of assurance. If they were truly saved, 
I believe that someone who's now walked away is still saved because that's the doctrine. And the question is, can a true believer have a temper tantrum against God? Well, the answer is yes, mm -hmm. just as children have temper tantrums against their parents. So I think a believer can have a temper tantrum, if you will, against God, if they're a true believer. Or the other option is they were never a believer. They just grew up in the church. They never truly believed. They never were truly born again. And now they've just returned to the world in which they belong. Now the question is, which one is my son or my cousin or my uncle or my whatever? Mm -hmm. And that I have no idea. Nobody can answer that question because no one can actually see their heart except but for God. Going right to your, your concern, Tom, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Yes. But we have a responsibility to respond to that conviction. So it isn't that the Holy Spirit ignored her son. It's the fact that her son has ignored the Holy Spirit. Agreed. So it's the Holy Spirit does his job and will continue to do it to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But we have free will, which we can exercise, whether or not we're going to appropriate that gift or we're going to resist it or resent it or set it aside. When I look at Scripture, here's my struggle. In John 3, Jesus says that unless you're born again, you can't believe. Well, it says it's well, wait a second. It says unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So beans, I would argue that verse says unless you're saved, you cannot right. enter into the kingdom of heaven and you become born again through faith, which, of course, your point is, is that the spirit is the one that's that's prompting sure. you. And of course, God is prompting everybody. He puts eternity in man's heart. All creation declares his glory. He sends the Holy Spirit out to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. The church is supposed to be going out and preaching the gospel. God is, when Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So God is working overtime to draw mankind to himself. That's what you were just talking about. And Greg, what you were talking about is that we need, we have a responsibility to respond to that call Absolutely. through faith. And once you respond in faith, then you are born again, and now you are qualified to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's how I see that. Best. Okay, I don't see it that way. Okay. I see Scripture saying, unless you're born again, you can't even believe. That's what John 3 talks about. I, 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 I'm not sure that it does. Well, let's look at it. I'm right, serious. Well, the point is that... Um, Obviously, you can't come to Christ on your own. Right. Unless you are convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Yes. So the idea is, is that you have to submit to that conviction, and then you are saved. If, if it's true what you're saying, Tom, yeah. then nobody is saved. Well, no, I don't agree with that. Let me push this further. What did he say to Nicodemus? Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? I'm an old man. Jesus said, it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone born of the Spirit. What did I have to do with that? Well, what he's talking about is, is salvation. That, yeah, yeah, of course. He's talking about that the Spirit will come from all directions. He's like the wind. I mean, you feel his presence, but you don't see it. Right. You you sense his conviction, but you can't can't uh, um, uh, what what is that? Materialize it. So, I mean, that's what I think the passage is talking about. So let's go back to the verse 3, uh, where this starts, because Jesus replies, and, and this is, I think, yeah. where, where maybe this, the, this difference comes from, is what it says, you can't do what unless you're born again. So verse 3 says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God 
In other words, no one will, will be saved. No one will be able to enter heaven. No one will have eternal life unless they're born again. Right. Now the question is, how are you born again? And, and what, what we've just described, uh, kind of on this side, is that you need to believe in order to be born again. It, I don't think it says, what you said is you have to be, you have to be born again in order to believe. And I think it says you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So that's, that's that distinction. I, I think okay, you get well, that. I'm not, I'm but not that doesn't mean, that, but well, let me uh, finish I, one point. But that doesn't mean that God isn't drawing, uh, prodding, course. poking, calling, um, you know, leading people to himself, which is, I think, your main point, right? Right. Well, and look at it this way. We are called to be disciples, not just somebody that gets saved to go to heaven. The problem is, in most of our theology, Lutheran, Baptist, I don't care who it is, when you get down to it, we want to give people assurance of salvation, which I agree with. Mm-hmm. But it's almost an assurance you don't have to do anything since it's already happened. And therefore, you can live any way you please, and you can do anything you want, and you're still going to heaven. Uh, I just got finished reading the book of Hebrews twice over the weekend, and there's some very strong language about remaining in the faith there. And I struggle with it, uh, trying to understand, what does this mean when it talks about people that fall away, who have once known the truth, tasted the righteousness of the Lord, and then fallen away again? Can they be redeemed a second time? Well, you can't be redeemed a second time unless you're redeemed the first time. So I struggle with that, and I'm just in an honest conversation, mm-hmm. because I think we put language out there, all of us do, I'm as guilty but I think for a lot of people, they don't get the mechanics of it. And I just want to make sure we get the mechanics. Well, you take a look at a passage like Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and, and we'll get to that after the break. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Guide Talk page, Matt. <laughs> Someone's going to leave a victor today. I'm not sure who. <laughs> Let me know what questions you have. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Hi, podcast listener. You know, I'm Bill Arnold, and my theme song says, What's for Dinner? And like when I'm grilling, I'm paying really close attention. And I know that ideal second to get the food off the grill. Like all good and ideal timings in life, right now would be an ideal time to be a cheerful giver to Faith Radio. Give now to support this podcast so that more people in more places might come to saving faith in Jesus and grow in their relationship and become a fully devoted follower. Click the link in the show notes or give now at myfaithradio.com. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good. I wanted you to hear it again. Welcome to Guide Talk. Cage Match Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Are we ready to rumble? Okay, let let me make... Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. (laughs) Let me make the point I was trying to make. Now... What I heard you say, Tom, and I'm not sure this is what you meant to convey, that you have to be saved in order to believe. So, but when I look at a passage like Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God right. is raised from the dead, you will be saved. So right. belief precedes salvation. And the Greek word, therefore, believe means to trust and rely on and cling to for all you know him to be at that moment. So is that... Well, my question is, where's the belief come from then? If I can't perceive the kingdom of God, and I'm a human being that's ignorant of the ways of Jesus, how can I even perceive to believe without the power of the Spirit waking me up to a, a place where I can believe? I, I think that's um, pushing out the the original intent of what we were, we're talking about in terms of belief. I mean, 
are are you saying that it's impossible for someone to believe as you've defined it without uh, being saved first? The scripture well, doesn't seem to say that. Well, born again. When I look at the word born again, I don't see in John is saying that's when you get saved. I'm saying if the Holy Spirit doesn't make you born again, you can't even perceive the kingdom of God and believe. That's where the free will comes in then. Mm -hmm. So all I'm saying is the credit in John 3 goes to the Holy Spirit to wake us up. But there are lots of people that get woke up but still don't believe. But we use the language of being born again as though it's a once and for all deal. And that's where we get in trouble because, well, yeah, I gave my heart at a rally in 1981, but I haven't gone to church since, and I don't believe in anything. This is the, I mean, this is an old debate, right? I mean, it's oh, about 500 years old about whether or not... I'm 489, re- by the way. <laughs> whether or not regeneration precedes faith or if faith precedes regeneration. And uh, Romans 10.9 would say faith precedes uh, regeneration or salvation. And, uh, but, you know, but much in the Reformed Church, uh, specifically in the kind of in the Calvinistic tradition, yeah. there is this idea. That's what the T, by the way, of TULIP of, of total depravity is total depravity in TULIP, which yeah. is a Calvinist, Calvinistic thought that basically says man has an inability to believe the gospel and therefore God must act in them prior to believing in order for that person to believe. And there, there's so many ramifications about that. How much time do we have, by the way? We, um, <laughs> there's so many ramifications because then the question is, does God do that for just some or does he do it to everybody? And I, I think scripture says that God calls all, but only some respond to his call in faith. Sure. So my picture of salvation is very simple. From Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. So the first mover in this transaction is God. Of course. He's knocking on the door of every single person's heart. But then the response to that call is we opened the door, Revelation 3 says. I think that's a picture of faith. And then he comes in and eats with us and us with them. And I think that's a picture of salvation. So I see the sequence in Scripture as God knocks. We respond in faith. Some do, some don't. And those who respond in faith, God saves or regenerates or makes born again and qualifies them for eternal life. See, from a pastoral point of view, this is what I get bombarded with for the last 48 years from people. You know, families that have loved ones who have died, counseling sessions over and over. And and I have great respect for what you guys do. Academic atmospheres are not the same as parish atmospheres where you got to deal with people's who's who's just dying inside and they're so angry with the Lord, trying to understand why did one son believe and not the other son believe? We did everything the same. What's going on here? And my basic contention is, I mean, I look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, and it's the gift of God. Well, does the not your own doing only refer to grace, or does it refer to faith? Well, in the Greek, I looked up R.C.H. Lenski, he says it refers to both. So you got a problem here. If the Lord doesn't plant the faith in us, but that doesn't mean we don't have free will. There's the difference in my mind. You can be even given faith, but reject what has been done, just like the angels had faith, but mm-hmm. rejected it. So I'm, I'm with you guys all the way. I want to just clarify because I see so many broken families in Christianity, and they've lost loved ones, and they've lost parents, and they either want to go the route, well, they gave their heart at a, a Billy Graham rally. By the way, I was a big Billy Graham supporter. And in my church, the lead accountant for Billy Graham is a member. He's been there for 40 years. Either they've done that, 
and say not to worry anymore because I'm for assurance too. Or on the other end, well, it goes almost to Calvinism. God chooses some and doesn't choose others. I don't believe that either. Well, robust conversation, (laughs) right? I'll start with my quiz. Note to Bill, never do that again. It's your fault, fault, Bill. By the way, I've enjoyed being on Guy Talk, and I hope you guys have a good time. I I was just going to ask for some more true-false questions. (laughs) Yeah, why would you do that? (laughs) Just had a nice comment. Uh, Sword sharpening sword. Great discussion, guys. Hmm, Thank you. Nice. All right, now this one is a highly sensitive uh, question, and I I don't want to bring it on before um, the top of next hour. I don't think we have enough time to deal with it carefully. And so I, I'm, I'm going to now suggest that we use this question at the top of the hour. So um, thank you uh, for that question. I'm just going to say your initials are JJ. So don't go anywhere because I want to address your question at the top of the hour, next hour. All right. Um, lively discussion. Let's see. Um, we love Guy Talk. Thanks to all of you for your faithfulness to the word. That's our goal. Nicely done. Nicely done. All right, um, so you guys did well on the quizzes, for the most part. The wrestling cage match was interesting. Uh, we're going to have to do a little um, debriefing on that one. And that's going to be uh, awfully close to the end of our first hour. But if you have a question or a comment, let me know what you have, because we've got a full hour ahead of Guy Talk. We've got uh, Dr. Greg Borgon with us, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Jeff Verdorn. <laughs> and your questions can be sent over via text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. And if you'd like to nominate your community for what we would consider a very special faith radio event, and that would feature the morning host, Carmen LaBurge. Carmen, you know, is so passionate about tilling the soil of cultural conversations of the day, and she wants to equip every believer with the tools to share Christ. And if you want to do that, what a fun event that would be, you can go over uh, to myfaithradio.com and nominate your community. And if you have not downloaded the Faith Radio app, I think you will enjoy it. You can go to your app store, whether it's on uh, Google or your iPhone, and just check it out and give it a look. I think you'll find it interesting and attractive, and everything is organized really nicely. And if you don't like it, you can always take it off your phone. It's pretty easy. (laughs) All right. When we come back, another full hour of Guy Talk. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. Hour two, just around the corner. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.